privilege of being washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, Father, we pray that you would bless the proclamation of your word. We pray that we would, you would use it to bring your name, glory, and honor, and that your people would be blessed. For it's in the wonderful name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Once again, I invite you to turn with me to the book of Acts, verse 39 of chapter 9 and following. Then Peter arose and went with them. And when he had come, they brought him to the upper room. And all the widows stood by him weeping, showing the tunics and garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter put them all out and knelt down and prayed and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. Then he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed on the Lord. So it was that he stayed many days in Joppa with Simon Atana. I want to preach today with the help of the Holy Spirit, and I do solicit your prayers from the subject, Peter lifting the Savior up. Peter lifting the Savior up. Last week, we concluded with Acts chapter 9, verse 30, with Saul uh, leaving Jerusalem, heading for his hometown of Tarsus. After which the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace, taught the ways of Jesus Christ, walked in the fear of the Lord, was confident by the Holy Spirit, and it increased significantly in numbers. So it was then that Saul actually leaves the scene in the book of Acts. And he does not reappear until the, the 12th chapter. In the meantime, Peter reemerges in the book of Acts in chapter 9, verse 32, where he is traveling through all parts of the country. He's traveling, he's preaching, he's ministering, he, he, he is spreading the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He decides to visit the saints or the followers of Jesus who lived in a town called Lydda. I have to believe that Peter was, was, was divinely motivated to go to Lydda. God has a way of divinely motivating us to go to some places. Well, Lydda is known in the Old Testament as Lod, L-O-D. And it was located about 10 miles southeast of the seacoast of Joppa. You remember Joppa, don't you? Joppa was the place that Jonah ran to when he did not want to go and preach to the Ninevites. Joppa was an important town because the roads from Egypt 
to Syria and from Joppa to Jerusalem passed right through it. So it was, it was an important town. Today, Lydda is the location of Israel's international airport. It's still there. Now, when Peter arrived in Lydda, verse 33 tells us that he found a certain man named Aeneas. Aeneas had been bedridden for eight years. The text says he was paralyzed. Eight years is a long time to be sick in the bed. I remember just a few years ago when some of us came back from, from, from Haiti, our missions trip. Some of us came back at, with the flu. I came back with the flu and others got sick shortly thereafter. And that, that period of, of bedtime for me and home time for me was about 10 days to two weeks. It seemed like a long time. Compared to eight years, it's not even a drop in a bucket. Well, Aeneas had been bedridden for eight years. He was paralyzed. Eight long years in bed. Day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, with no end in sight was his prognosis. It's one thing to be sick and have a prognosis. You take antibiotics, and they say for about seven days or ten days, and you anticipate getting better. But that was not Aeneas. He, he had no, no, no hope in sight. The doctors would have long since given him up as a hopeless and helpless case. Not only that, uh, not only was his physical condition deemed hopeless he would have been engulfed in a mental battle fighting feelings of uselessness feelings of being a constant burden on his caretakers now now there's one thing about caretakers that that I discovered even with reading this text most of the emphasis is on what the caretaker goes through. But when you think about it, those who are being taken care of go through a lot as well. He would have been fighting that middle battle of feeling useless and, and, and feeling uh, the constant burden uh, uh, he was causing his caretakers for he could not do the most simplest task for himself. Could not brush his teeth, could not comb his hair, could not put his own clothes on, could not turn himself from side to side. Add to the dilemma of his physical and mental stress, the stress of being financially challenged, because of a loss of an income and the strains associated with being stigmatized, what you have is a needy person. But not only do we see in this text a needy person, we see a necessary power. 
Look at verse 34 where Peter said to him, and there's Jesus the Christ heals you, arise and make your bed. Then he arose immediately. No hesitation, no contemplation, no deliberation. He arose immediately because Jesus, don't miss this, provided the necessary power to meet his needs. To meet his needs. Now, I want us to notice something here of extreme of extreme significance. That is, there was no mass meeting. No hysteria. No stage managed effects. No flashing lights and colorful smoke. No fanfare. No blaring organ, keyboard, guitars, or drums. And no monetary offering. What you see in the text is the necessary power of God all by itself meeting a helpless man at the point of his need and doing for him what no other power what no other power could do. Now, now, this text challenges us as believers in Jesus Christ. It, it, it challenges us. It confronts us. It, in some ways, uh, uh, it, it encourages us to refrain from going through life leaning and depending solely on the power and the authority a man and woman. Well, because some people have some power. Certainly people have some power. There, there's some power, y'all, on Capitol Hill. I won't negate that. There is some power in the halls of, of Congress. I won't refute that. There is some power in Senate chambers, I won't deny that. But I stand today to declare on the authority of the word of God that Jesus Christ alone has all power and all authority and every power and every authority is subject to him. Jesus has the power to save. Don't miss that. No, no matter how needed, no matter how paralyzed a person is mentally, emotionally, or physically, or financially, or socially, or culturally, or any other way, Jesus has the power. 
has power to save. He, he has the power to heal. Don't give up on anybody. Jesus has the power to heal. It's his choice. He has the power to deliver. No, no matter what you're in, he has the power to deliver. He has the power to meet our every need to lift us up take us down, put us in, and get us out. That's why the psalmist could joyfully announce in Psalm 121, 1 and 2, I will lift up mine eyes to the hills from which cometh my help, my help. My help comes from the Lord. Now, he might send it through a person. But my help comes from the Lord. He might send help through your supervisor, but the origin of your help and my help comes from the Lord. He might, I, he might send help through your doctors, but ultimately your help comes from the Lord. That's why the psalmist says, I'm looking up to the hill. Which comes as my help. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. The reality is, if you need some help today, fret not, fuss not, fume not, just look to Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith, for he is willing and able to connect with you, convene with you, and commune with you at the deepest, darkest, more desperate place of your need. We used to sing a song back home at Jehovah Missionary Baptist Church. You just asked the Savior to help you. Confident, strengthen, and keep you. The old saints sang, Jesus is willing to aid you. He will carry you through. Well, I learned he'll carry you through. Is there anybody here that you understand for yourself that, that the Lord will carry you through? No matter how dark, the Lord will carry you through. David said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for thou art with me. The implication of David is that the Lord is with him, carrying him through. Through dark water, I call you to go. I, I'll, I'll never leave you. That's what the Lord said. Well, ain't no mountain high enough. No valley low enough, no river wide enough, no problem perplexing enough, no concern critical enough, no person powerful enough, no diagnosis dangerous enough to keep Jesus, the power of the Most High God, from meeting you right where you are and taking you where he needs you to be. That's the implication of the text. But not only... In the text, do we find the needed person and the necessary power? There's also the noted purpose. Look at verse 35. It reads, and all who dwelt in Lydda and Charon 
saw him and turned to the Lord. The purpose of the miracle was to draw people to Jesus for salvation. Now here's a little geographic, uh, geography lesson. Sharon was not a city but a rich coastal plain. Lydda, Joppa, and Caesarea were cities within the coastal boundaries of Sharon. So here's what happened when the news flashed that Aeneas had been healed. People came to see the miracle for themselves. When they saw the miracle, they saw something that only God could do. When they saw something that only God could do, their hearts and minds were open to the gospel. When their hearts and minds were open to the gospel, they became committed, transformed, real, radical, revolutionary followers of Jesus. But you see, the truth is that many of you listening to this word today came to Jesus after you saw something only God could do. Oh, you heard the preacher preaching. You heard your mama talking. You heard grandmama, granddaddy, and them telling you about Jesus. But somehow or another, it went in one ear and came out the other. But you came to Jesus after the Lord showed you something that only he could do. In other words... God did something, showed you something, got you out of a situation, got you out of a situation that only God could have gotten you out of. You were in so deep, but you knew when you got out that only God could have brought you out. He worked a miracle, got your attention, softened your heart, and made a believer out of you. Now, for all of us, it may have been different. You know, it might have been a bullet that just missed you. The sickness that could have taken you out. The deal that went down wrong that should have sent you away for life. But God worked a miracle that opened your heart to the gospel, and you're here today. of God's miracle working power. Now hold on to your seats because the story gets gooder than this. Located 10 miles northwest of Lydda was the Mediterranean coastal town of Joppa. At Joppa, there was a certain disciple named Tabitha. Her name in the Hebrew means gazelle. Luke records in verse 36 that she was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. Now, I'm glad Luke emphasized the element of good works because good works are an essential part of the Christian faith. Good works do not earn salvation, but they do show evidence of salvation. In other words, we can't work to get saved, but once we are saved, we ought to be doing some work. So 
Acts 10, 38 tells us that Jesus, Jesus went about doing good. James 2, 17 sets forth the premise that faith without works is dead. The reality is that genuine Christ followers will be actively engaged in doing good works. Good works like Jesus listed in Matthew 28, verses 32 through 46, uh, like feeding the hungry and giving drink to the, to the thirsty and clothing the naked and visiting the sick and visiting those in prison. All good works, showing kindness and showing hospitality and compassion to strangers are all good works Jesus commended to those who follow him. He called them sheep. He said in Matthew 8 and 40, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it unto me. Now, one of the truest indicators of those who are followers of Jesus Christ is a passionate propensity towards doing good works. Such was the case with the disciple named Dorcas. And verse 36 says she was full of good works and charitable deeds. But in verse 37, she became sick, the Bible says, and she died. When they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Then they sent two men to Lydda, asking Peter to come to Joppa quickly. Now, what's interesting here to note is that usually when a person died, it was customary to bury them quickly because that environment was very hot. They didn't have air conditioning, and, and, and so it was just customary to, to bury them quickly. Yet instead of a speedy funeral, a speedy burial for doctors, The text tells us that they washed her body, they prepared her body, and they laid her in an upper room. Now, at least two schools of thought, there are two schools of thought as to why she was not buried quickly. First, some believe she was not buried quickly because the widows who loved her so much uh, hoped for a miracle. That's the thought. They were were hoping for a a, a miracle. After all, Jesus had healed the widow named son in Luke chapter 7. He had healed Jairus' daughter in Luke chapter 8. He had even healed Lazarus in John chapter 11. They knew Jesus had been resurrected. There was resurrection power, but they also knew that Peter was not that far away, just 10 miles away in Joppa, maybe. Just maybe. Just maybe if we get to him and he comes, just maybe a miracle will happen. Well, the second school of thought is that the widows loved who loved her so much. I just hope that they could get the word to Peter and, and that Peter would just come, y'all, and, and, and just preach our homegoing celebration. <laughs> <laughs> they knew Peter preaching and, and thousands 
of the folk got saved. They know New Peter was a powerful, dynamic vessel of God, a preacher. They wanted to tell Peter all that she had done, how she had received Jesus, and all the good work she had done. Peter, if you just come, sir. If you just come and say a word about my sister, we will be happy. Just come. You just come and testify about her righteous life. Just come and tell somebody that Dorcas was a good woman. She loved the Lord. It'll make us feel a whole lot better. Peter, if you just come, then we can go on with the burial, but not until you come. You just come preach this celebration. So the thinking was perhaps Peter would come and, and honor this great woman of God. Well, we don't know for sure what their thinking was, but here's what we do know. They sent for Peter, and he came. And when he arrived, they, they took him to the upper room where, and where the, all the widows were crying and, and showing him the tunics and the garments Dockers had lovingly, graciously made for the widows while she was alive. Widows didn't have very much. If they didn't have children willing to take care of them, life was tough. But yet this woman took of her own means and provided for those needed widows. And there they were, y'all, brokenhearted and, and crying and, and testifying to the goodness of God through the lovely and gracious woman. And she was alive. But here's something that happened that's strange. This crying, this testifying this celebration of life right there. Verse 40 says, Peter put them all out. Ain't that something? Put them all out. He knelt down and prayed. Now here's something in the text the Lord does not want us to miss. Notice Peter's action in verse 40. I, I, you know, this, this is just so amazing. Notice his actions. Even in verse 39 and verse 40, he made no promises. <laughs> Y'all don't, don't, you know, don't, you know, don't, when we put our halos on, don't, don't we like to make promises? You know, we love to walk in and say, honey, it's going to be all right. They go, they go get up. Don't you worry about it. They going to live. They going to be healed. God's got it. Everything will be all right. We love to tell people that. But Peter, I found in the text, made no promises. And he put them all out. And the reason Peter made no promises, y'all, but it's because he had not gotten God's perspective on the matter. We can all learn a lesson from Peter. Don't go promising folks stuff until you get clear directions from the Lord. Well, he, the reason Peter made no promises was because he had not gotten clear perspective 
on the matter from the Lord. And the reason he put them all out was because he needed, get this now, he needed to be away from the crying, away from the emotions. Not that they were bad, but he needed, he needed to be away from that. He needed to be away from personal views and opinions so that he could clearly and unmistakably hear God's perspective on the matter. You see, one of the reasons the disciples, one of the reasons the discipline of prayer and solitude, solitude is getting somewhere by yourself with God One of the reasons, the discipline of praying, talking to the Lord, and solitude, talking to the Lord by yourself, the reason it's so important is because it gets the believer to the place where he or she is alone with God. You and I are alone with God, away from distractions, in a secluded place, a private place, a quiet place, so that God get this, has no competition for our attention as he pours forth his will into our hearts and into our mind. Y'all ever had those teachers in school? I mean, they were good teachers, serious teachers. I had teachers like that, you know, and, and, and sometimes the class would be chattering and talking while the teacher was late, and, and, and the teacher would say, listen, listen, I am not going to compete. Y'all remember that? With your voices. She would say, she would say, I remember, I am not trying, I am not going to try to talk over your voice. I, I wonder what it would be like sometimes I just stop preaching when folks are walking around chitter-chattering and talking. I thought about that, you know, folks just walking around, talking, and, you know, while the preaching is going. I thought about just stopping. And let the distractions go away and then preach because God is not going to compete for our attention. If we want to hear from God, we got to get with God sometimes alone. That's the reason he put him out. He needs to be away. He needs to be away from that. Prayer and solitude is important because it gets us to the place where we are all alone with God, away from distractions, a secluded place, a private place, a quiet place, so that God has no competition. It ought to be that way in church, you know. God ought not have to try to talk talk over your neighbor that's talking to you. You trying to get a word from God? Listen, tell your neighbor to be quiet. Don't stop by talking to me. I'm trying to hear from God because the very thing God is going to say, you miss it. Because you're allowing distractions to talk to you, to chatter. Prayer and solitude. The reason why some people miss God's will and miss God's plan and miss God's direction for their lives is because they have not learned how to put some folk out. Turn off the radio, the television, the internet for a while and be along with God. You see, some matters of life are so serious that unless we spend time alone with God in order to get God's perspective, we'll blow it. Amen, Jesus. Well, Peter wasn't about to blow it. 
So he talked to God in private. And when he came out of that one-on-one prayer meeting, verse 40 states, and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha. She opened her eyes. God told him, call her Peter, Tabitha. God said, call her Peter. I know she's dead, but you call her. She'll come back to life. She opened her eyes, and, and, and she saw Peter. She sat up in the verse 41. Peter gave her his hand and lifted her, called the saints and the widows in the, and presented her alive. In other words, Peter called the saints and the widows and, and, and showed them what Jesus had done. What I'm trying to tell you, y'all, is Peter had a way of lifting the Savior up. He he didn't talk about what Peter had done. He didn't talk about what I've done. He called them and he showed them what the Lord has done. When he showed them the work that Jesus had done, when, 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 when they saw that God had done something that only God could do, when he gave God the glory, the credit, verse 42 says that the word of this miracle spread throughout Joppa and many people came to the Lord. Can I tell you something, y'all? People ain't all that excited about what Pickett doing. Can I, can I just be real with you? Pe- people, people don't get all excited about what flesh can do. But now at Good Hope, when we tell people, here's some stuff that only God can do, then they get excited. Then they want to hear. Then the door for the gospel is open. So there you have it. Peter was all about lifting the Savior up. That's what we ought to be about. We're about lifting Jesus up. We we ought to be about telling the people about Jesus. He was all about telling the world about Jesus. That's our duty. That's our challenge. That's what we were doing at Christ's clothes and clay. Oh, yeah, we'll be giving out clothes and, and backpacks, but you know what we're going to be doing? We're going to be praying and telling folks about Jesus. That's our charge. That's why we do what we do. Hymn writer Johnson Oatman Jr. states the matter well in the words of an old hymn of the church, and with these few stanzas, I'll close. He wrote, How to Reach the Masses. Men of every birth, for an answer, Jesus gave the key. He said, if I I be lifted up from the earth, I'll draw all men to me. 